Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This was a trip of a lifetime. Clancy and her friend planned this trip for at least two years. It was a commitment they made to take the time while they had it. For three months, the two friends will travel to Europe to see the sights, meet new friends, enjoy the local festivals, eat delicious food, and explore the unknown. Both meticulously planned every detail of almost every day and saved up to make this trip happen. After years of planning, it was almost time to go. In July 2010, Clancy resigned from her job and prepared for the months-long trip. It was Wednesday, July 21, when Clancy and her friend hopped aboard a plane from Sydney, Australia, on their way to Germany. She waved goodbye to her family. Although she will miss them terribly, she looked forward to this trip so much. But despite Clancy's planning and saving and persistence, three days after she boarded that plane, no one will hear from her ever again. You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about untimely deaths and fatalities in recent or earlier history that resulted in damages in its wake. I'm your host, Lynn. Festivals are so much fun to go to. There are so many different types that there is one that you are bound to like. Food festivals, music festivals, movie festivals. You name it, there is one somewhere that will pop up. Maybe it's the grand spectacle of it all that attracts attendees like me to brave the crowds and somehow forget all the small annoyances that could happen before, during, or even after the festival. Or maybe it's a pastime you can consider as pure entertainment. But behind the scenes, organizing a festival is painstakingly detailed-oriented and requires almost an entire army of organizers, security, and locals to participate. In today's episode, we'll learn about what was supposed to be a peaceful and fun afternoon of festival delights that turned into a crushing nightmare for many. When you say Matthew Ring loved music, it's an understatement. Earlier in his career as a disc jockey, Matthew also joined music groups in Berlin, Germany, such as Dead Pilots, German-Polish Aggression, and Squealer. To make his mark, 
Matthew changed his stage name to Dr. Moth. And from there, his skills as a disc jockey in the world of German techno house music became a popular name among club goers. Dr. Moth met Danielle DiPisioro, an American artist living in Berlin. Together, they share their love of music and its impact on social movements. At that time, the political climate in Germany and in the rest of the world was fairly unstable. Dr. Moth wanted to show Germany and the rest of the world that peace is attainable to those who will listen. With Danielle, the two co-founded the Love Parade in the summer of 1989. The idea behind the Love Parade was born as a political demonstration through peaceful means. The slogan they chose was Peace, Joy, and Pancakes. Where peace was meant to represent disarmament, joy was meant to represent understanding among nations, and pancakes for fair food distribution. The first ever Love Parade was attended by 150 people, led by Dr. Moth and Danielle who danced and marched their way along Kurfürstendamm, one of the main streets in Berlin. Attendees were free to express themselves, either by dance, by song, by fashion. A Volkswagen bus with loudspeakers blasted techno music for the parade, while two other vehicles strode along the parade-goers with hundreds of onlookers enjoying the spectacle. In the years that followed, the simple idea of Love Parade as a peaceful demonstration exploded both nationally and internationally, reaching far and wide. Similar parades, which became a festival, started to pop up in other European cities such as Paris in France and Turin in Italy, as well as the Americas in Santiago, Chile, and Acapulco in Mexico. Soon enough, corporate sponsors came knocking on the door of the organizers. What started out as a political demonstration became a marketing opportunity. It was great to have sponsors to fund the event that was now getting bigger every year. Despite the increasing support from fans and sponsors, the Love Parade has had its challenges. Germany law dictates that the government is responsible for setting up security and cleanup before, during, and after political demonstrations. But, as the Love Parade became a large group gathering away from political reasons, a German court found that the Love Parade is a commercial event rather than its original purpose, removing the state as the responsible party for security and cleanup. With the commercialization and negativity that suddenly loomed over the love parade, Dr. Moth and Danielle broke ties with the event and its organizers. In 2004 and 2005, the love parade was canceled due to funding issues. The next year, the event was back up. In 2007, it almost did not happen because of lack of permits, as the Senate in Berlin refused to issue one for the event. The city of Berlin cited overcrowding and mismanagement of waste as reasons, among others, to deny a permit to the Love Parade organizers. Even with a big city like Berlin, the number of attendees became a bit too much to handle. So with that, 
the festival organizers looked to the west towards the Ruhr district. After reaching out to several cities in Ruhr, Essen hosted the event in 2007. It was estimated that around 1.2 million people attended. The next year, 2008, the festival was held in Dortmund, which was about a 40-minute ride east from Essen. But once again, the event was canceled in 2009. This time, it was security and safety issues that held it back. The once peaceful parade turned into a security nightmare. There were reports of theft, sexual assaults, and proficient drug use. At least 20 people were arrested. Even with all that history and issues that followed, the Love Parade organizers set on to prepare for the event in 2010. This time, the city of Duisburg was chosen to host. Duisburg is the 15th largest city in Germany, with about half a million people calling it home. The city was first established in the 13th century. In 1983, the town celebrated its 1,100th anniversary. So much history has passed through this town. Because of its location, it was heavily bombed by the Allies in World War II, which changed the city's landscape and industries. Like other German cities, Duisburg boasts of historic churches, like the St. John the Baptist, built in 900, and in the same vicinity are modern buildings of recent design and construction. A festival of this magnitude was welcomed in Duisburg, but needed detailed organizing and systematic plans. The mayor of Duisburg at that time, Adolf Sauerland, ensured the event will be a success, as it will bring in much-needed revenue for the city. The theme of the 2010 Love Parade was The Art of Love, brought to life by DJ and producer Anthony Rother. There will be 16 parade wagons, or music floats, that will blast beats and basses starting at 2 p.m., to be attended by an estimated 1.4 million people. One of the floats planned had a giant yellow inflatable robot holding a red heart over the crowd. The event itself is free of charge. Local and globally renowned DJs were lined up to bring music to its fans. Big names like David Guetta, DJ Tiesto, and Monica Cruz were just some of the artists scheduled to take part in the festivities. At the end of the festival, attendees will gather near the love stage, the first of its kind from other love parades in the past. It was gearing up to be one hell of a party. But for those who were not lucky enough to attend, the festival will be live-streamed over the internet and available over select radio stations. To describe the planned events, let me share an overview of the area where the festival took place. We'll look at the venue from an aerial point of view. Audubon A59 is on the left going vertically, while on the other side, to the far right, is the railway track. In the middle is Alter Guterbahnhof, 
a freight station that will act as the structure where the music floats or trucks will go around. Connecting the Autobahn and the railway tracks is an underground tunnel, the Karl Lerstrasse. This tunnel is about 600 meters or 656 yards from the entrance on the west side underneath the Autobahn to the entrance in the east side by the tracks. Intersecting the tunnel are two inclined ramps that go up to the freight station ground level. The main entrance ramp, much wider than the other, was parallel and closer to the railroad station, previously used by vehicles to to transport goods and items to the freight station building. At the end of the main ramp on each side leading to the freight station are two grass slopes guarded by a wire fence. At the bottom of the left wall of the main entry ramp was a concrete staircase that people can use to get up to the level of the freight station from the tunnel. Right before the stairs is a marketing billboard with a steel pole that can be seen by vehicles on the Autobahn. There is a secondary ramp to the left of the main ramp that also intersects the Carlos Tross. This one is narrower and curves like an elongated letter S. There is no pedestrian access in this secondary ramp, unlike the staircase in the main entry. The organizers had this vision. Attendees can access the festival using two entrances, one on the west and one on the east end of the Carlos Strauss. Once inside the tunnel, it is a short walk to the main entry ramp where they head up the incline until they reach the freight station level then follow along the music floats around the building. To exit, attendees will use the secondary ramp back to the Carlistras tunnel, where they can go either to the west or the east side of the tunnel to leave. Local law enforcement, about 4,000 strong, were strategically located at almost every point of the venue. In the two entrances, along the main ramp and secondary ramp, and all around the festival points of entries and exits. This timeline of the event was based on the organizers' report, video footage from the tunnels and surrounding areas. It was July 24th, a Saturday. The weather forecast seemed perfect for a festival. Perfect for the love parade. By the time the festival will be in full swing, the temperature would be 24 degrees Celsius or around 75 degrees Fahrenheit. It was nothing but blue skies. Early in the morning, local authorities received information that the event was a green light. The plan was to open the entrances at 11 o'clock in the morning, local time. But as it got closer to the opening time, it was clear that some construction was yet to be completed. The organizers needed more time. It was then decided to delay the opening of the gates to one hour later. But by then, large crowds were already starting to gather outside the two entrances. At two minutes after 12, over an hour past schedule, the festival was finally opened to the public. The crowd slowly filtered in from both sides of the tunnel. At around 2 p.m., the festival officially started, just like it was planned. 
music floats circled the freight station, blasting techno music to the crowd. However, at least 20,000 techno fans were still filtering in from both entrances. Local law enforcement felt that an announcement to the fans was warranted. They asked the organizers to make a simple notification to the fans to avoid overcrowding and to have a little patience while the police managed the entrances and exits. Unfortunately, there were no available loudspeakers or other methods to make the announcement. At around 3.50 in the afternoon, police formed a security block on the west entrance to inhibit new attendees from walking in. The purpose of this blockade is to slow down the number of attendees to a manageable level and to not overcrowd the festival grounds above. Minutes later, another police blockade was formed, this time at the east entrance of the tunnel. With the west and east entrances closed off, the number of attendees trying to get in increased in volume exponentially. Meanwhile, music still blasted from inside the festival. Frustrated attendees became extremely agitated, wondering what the holdup was. The west entrance was starting to block the outer streets, so the police blockade was moved closer inside the tunnel, just before the secondary ramp. As a reminder, the secondary ramp was supposed to be used as the main exit. At this point, the volume of people coming to the festival did not allow anyone to exit. There was just no way out. A third police barricade was formed, and this time, it was placed inside the main entry ramp just after the concrete staircase. The third barricade was created to prevent anyone who managed to slip away from the two entrance blockades. But because of this third barricade, any attendees who wanted to leave could not go through the main ramp, nor can they go out the secondary ramp. All the police can say to them was to wait. By 4.15 in the afternoon, the police barricade in the east side opened up and allowed attendees to filter to the main entry ramp, but the third barricade prevented them to enter, so they were stuck. As you could imagine, attendees from the upper part of the main ramp who wanted to leave were now facing the attendees from the east entrance trying to get in. Meanwhile, some of the crowd started to climb up the concrete staircase just to get to the festival. But there was security posted and only allowed two or three people at a time to get in. In desperation, some of the able-bodied attendees climbed up the poles of the billboard and the light fixtures to get to the freight station level. The poles started to wobble from the weight of people trying to leave the main ramp. By 421, the police barricade in the west was completely overwhelmed by the public who just wanted to get into the festival. There was a small fight between the police and the attendees, but in the end, hundreds of people from the west entrance hurried their way to the main entry ramp, where they were met with hundreds more. Everyone was blocked. 
Around 4.31, an emergency vehicle was allowed through the west entrance. The small break in the crowd was immediately filled with festival goers, making it impossible to control. The atmosphere was tense and many started to get anxious. Every single person in the crowd had been waiting for a long time to get in. It was a chaotic scene. People trying to leave and people trying to get in. Everyone pushing and pulling against one another in a mass of humanity with very little space in between. The pressure from all sides was crushing the ones who were right inside the lower part of the main entry ramp. Approximately five minutes later, the third police barricade was overtaken by the sheer volume and pressure of people trying to get in and out. Then, at 4.40 in the afternoon, panic-like movements within the crowd ensued and suddenly grew out of control. Screams of help echoed through the tunnel, and swarms of people started to climb up the concrete stairs, the billboard, the light poles, anything they can to just get out of the crowd. People were heard shouting to hurry up and get moving, while some yelling back, to calm down. Very faintly, you can hear a whimper of someone yelling, I am about to die. More and more people started to climb up on top of others, elbowing necks and heads as they fight to get up and make their way to the staircase. Some people were seen being carried away by the crowd against their might because of the force of pushing and pulling. Cries of pain and panic pierced the air. In several crowd pockets, one or two people fell down on the ground and were unable to get back up. Instead, they were pushed further down to the ground, their entire body used as leverage by others to move forward. A few actually looked down and held up those who have fallen. Police tried in vain to control the crowd, but it was all too much, and there was nothing they could do to stop anyone. To make it worse, the screams for help and terror were masked by the loud music from the floats. Some did try to pull up those who were pushed down. While people were struggling to breathe and survive, others inside the Carlos Trust Tunnel and above the festival grounds were dancing and moving to the music. By 5.05, those who started to climb the concrete staircase fell down on top of the crowd below. Police and bystanders started to reach out and help those who were able to climb up the poles and the billboard. The metal fences were completely demolished on the grassy slopes at the end of the main entryway. And it what seemed like forever, ever so slowly, the crowds started to dissipate. Many were able to find their way up the festival grounds, either by rushing the main ramp or climbing any vertical structure they can. By 5.15, the volume of people decreased within the main ramp area, but scattered around left were some who were injured in the sudden crowd rush while others were doing their best to save ones who were severely trampled on the ground. 
By 5.20, the crowd was almost gone. Fire engines and emergency crews started moving the injured outside the grounds to be seen by medical professionals, while others, sadly, did not make it out alive. When the panic subsided and the crowd dispersed, 21 Love Parade attendees died that afternoon while over 500 people sustained traumatic injuries. Fifteen died on the grounds where the crowd had rushed, while six succumbed to their deaths in the hospital. Fourteen of those who died were from Germany, two from Spain, one from the Netherlands, one from Italy, one from Bosnia-Herzegovina, one from China, and finally, one from Australia. It was Clancy Ridley. By six in the evening, the Love Parade Festival's attendees continued to party despite the gruesome deaths that occurred on the same grounds. It was decided by the organizers that evacuating the premises would make matters worse. So the show, as they say, went on, like nothing happened. It wasn't until the next day that many realized what had just happened. Reports from the media stated the main cause of deaths were from falling down the concrete stairs to the ground. But autopsies will later prove that those who died suffered tremendously from being crushed to their deaths. Their lungs were slowly and agonizingly compressed due to the number of people around them. The lack of oxygen caused extreme distress, which led to suffocation, then eventually painful death. The day after the disaster, the organizers made a somber decision, which they announced in a press conference. In light of the deaths from the event, there will never be another love parade ever again. Rainer Schaller, one of the main organizers, stated, The love parade has always been a joyful and peaceful party, but in the future, would always be overshadowed by yesterday's event. Schaller and other organizers never shied away from what happened. He met with families of the victims and survivors. He offered emergency counseling services to those who needed it. On July 31st, a memorial service was held at Salvatore Church in Duisburg. The service was attended by German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and led by the head of the German Protestant Church, Nicholas Schneider. Over 500 mourners came to grieve while the service was televised for others to watch. With a publicized disaster such as this, the question becomes, who will be held accountable? Will it be the organizers for their lack of planning for the number of attendees? Will it be the police who did not manage crowd control or have easily accessible exits? Would it be the city administrators of Duisburg for lackluster oversight of the event? Or will it be the attendees themselves to blame for failing to realize what was happening and continued to push and pull and panic until the entire thing became out of control? Were many of the festival goers influenced by illicit drugs and alcohol similar to love parades of the past. Unfortunately, 
There was not one thing that made this event into a tragedy, but rather a series of unfortunate but preventable errors. The organizers compiled witness statements and closed-circuit recordings from cameras in and around the area to show the timeline of what happened. The closure of both entrances and the main ramp area initiated the accumulation of bodies that made the crowd grow larger and became uncontrollable. The police blocked the two entrances to filter the crowd number to a manageable size, but instead created mass confusion. The lack of communication and method of communications were also to blame. There were no radios available for the police to inform the event organizers of what was going on. As proof, there was an interview with one of the organizers held at around 4.47 on July 24th, around the same time the crowd was in full eruption. In the interview, it was stated that the love parade was a success. At the beginning of the chaos, it would have been helpful to have a public announcement to calm the attendees trying to enter and exit, as well as be able to direct traffic. But there was no public loudspeaker that can be used, despite the 16 music floats moving about the festival grounds. Of course, with attendees not knowing what was going on, and with the anxiety and aggravation felt by many, a phenomenon called crowd turbulence or crowdquake happened. The phrase was coined by Dirk Helbing and Pratik Mukherjee, who wrote an analysis of the Love Parade disaster in 2012. In the research, although the news and most of the eyewitness accounts focused on the area by the concrete staircase, the deaths did not happen there. It was in smaller pockets around it. Basically, because of the density of people in one small area, any force from any direction can multiply through bodily contact and created pressure. This pressure, if relieved by any sort of movement, will break and cause people to fall down and create a domino effect in smaller pockets, crushing people to death. The analysis was not clear on who or which agency was to be blamed for this disaster. A quote in the analysis said, The systemic nature of many crowd disasters makes their legal handling very difficult since it is hard to determine the fraction of responsibility that different people and institutions had. In 2016, the first criminal investigation was led by the state of Dusseldorf and the German police. Over 3,500 people gave their testimonies and the case file was over 40,000 pages. The result of the investigation brought charges against 10 of the organizers and city planners of the Love Parade, including Rainer Schaller and City Mayor Adolf Sauerland. A group of protesters demanded the mayor's resignation for allowing the festival to happen in the first place. Though Sauerland rejected the thought of resignation as he was not directly involved in the events of that afternoon, he was eventually voted out by the state parliament. When the charges was brought to the state court, it was rejected due to the lack of sufficient evidence. But in April 2017, a higher regional court reviewed the case and moved forward with the charges against the 10 individuals. 
the trial started in December of the same year. However, despite 14 months of court proceedings, it was clear that the state prosecutors failed to establish individual guilt. With that, the charges for seven of the defendants were dropped. The seven included former Mayor Adolf Sauerland and event organizer Rainer Schaller. The three remaining were offered to pay a fine of 10,000 euros, which is roughly 11,000 U.S. dollars. But the three remained steadfast and chose to go through trial to clear their names. To this day, there has been no conclusion from the court proceedings, and there are still over 500 testimonies to be heard. Many of the victims' families were outraged and wanted to fight to hold the organizers responsible for their losses. But unfortunately, time is against them. For German law, the statute of limitations for this case is 10 years, meaning the court only has until July 2020 to continue and find a resolution. Dr. Moth, founder of the Love Parade, was saddened to hear about this tragedy. In an interview with Reuters days after the event of July 24th, he stated that the organizers were guilty since they did not give enough space for the festival to occur safely. The state of North Rhine-Westphalia, where the city of Duisburg is located, compensated each of the victims' families with 20,000 euros to cover the costs of funeral expenses and hospital-related bills. The Love Parade's insurer also paid amounts to the families for subsequent expenses. The festival grounds of what was the 2010 Love Parade remains as is. On every anniversary of the disaster, families and friends of those who died and those who survived visit the area to mourn and remember. A few visit during holidays or birthdays. At one point, there was a question on what should happen to the grounds. There was a time that the area, specifically the freight station, was going to be developed into a commercial outlet mall and shops. Obviously, this plan was met with passionate opposition, especially from families and the community of Duisburg. It remains a freight station to this day. Two songs were composed and released in honor of the Love Parade disaster, one entitled Remember Love, with the song's profits sent directly to the victims' families, and another, 21 Crosses, where the names of the victims were mentioned at the end of the song. Near the concrete stairs, a monument was designed by a local artist named Gerard Lossman. The money for the memorial was raised by the public, over 26,000 euros, to build the structure. Krupp donated steel to the monument. Four weeks before the first anniversary of the disaster, the monument, a steel sculpture over 3.5 meters tall and 6 meters long, was presented to the public and dedicated to those who died. The date of July 24, 2010, shown on one side, and 21 steel beams on the other. The concrete staircase itself also became a makeshift memorial. 21 crosses lined up the stairs with names of the victims etched in each one. Candles, flowers, and other items of importance, like scarves and bracelets, are neatly displayed near and around the area 
to remind those who visit of what happened there in 2010. To the left of the staircase, written in seven languages, the native tongues of the 21 victims are the words, Love never ends. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. As always, it would be great to hear what you thought of this episode. Send us a note at untimelypodcast at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, don't forget to spread the word to your friends, colleagues, neighbors, and family members. Also, if you have a few minutes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're on social media, connect with us on Twitter at untimelypodcast. We'd love to hear from you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.